everyone. Corey here. I'm joined by my husband, Matlock, today. Hey. And hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are doing the weekly recap for Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. Our reading this week was supposed to cover Joshua chapter 9 to Judges chapter 9. So that's what we're going to be recapping. Perfect. And I got to say, there is a lot of stuff in here. Mm. Lots of history, especially in Judges. It just starts to blitz through that history. Um, so yeah, Joshua 9 to Judges 9. Let's jump right in. All right. Okay. Joshua chapter 9. So... This is all about a coalition of kings and their cities against Israel. Because remember, in Joshua, where we are so far, is they've taken Jericho, they've taken Ai, they have renewed the covenant ceremony on Mount Ebal and Gerizim that's around the city of Shechem. And now they're facing a coalition of kings that have teamed up to face the Israelite invasion. Uh, but we're told that one city, Gibeon, has chosen a different tactic. They decided to trick Israel into a peace treaty, and it worked. It saved their four cities. So there's a coalition of Gibeonite cities. So Gibeon, Kephira, Beroth, and Kiriath Jerim. Chapter 10 of Joshua, there's this coalition of kings led by the king of Jerusalem, and they decide to attack Gibeon because Gibeon has just made peace with the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. Joshua marches to the aid of Gibeon. Uh, and this is the really interesting chapter where Joshua commands the sun to stand still, and it works. So the Israelites have enough time to defeat their enemies. And there's a record of him then going into the cities of those armies and taking them, taking all of those cities. Joshua and the Israelites, I mean. Yeah, I, I put you <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> Just in case there was confusion. Okay, Joshua chapter 11, there's a northern alliance of kings led by the king of Hatsor, who's named Jabin. Now, we know from history that Jabin, and from Israel, uh, and from the Bible itself, that Jabin was a dynastic name that got passed on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, it's a kingly name. So when you ascend to the throne, you got called Jabin. Uh, because later on in the Bible, we'll see someone else facing a Jabin of, of Hatsor. Um, they defeat them and they chase them and Joshua, so the Israelites defeat this coalition and chase them and Joshua marches into Hatsor and destroys it and sets it on fire. And then he marches to the other royal cities and takes them as well. But there's a note that they didn't burn the other royal cities. They only burned certain cities and Hatsor was one of those cities. We're also told that Joshua destroyed all the Anakites except for those living in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So these are the Philistinian cities right. uh, where Goliath would come from. Right. So because Joshua was not able to defeat these cities later on, Goliath becomes a problem for David. Right. Okay. And for Saul, the first right. king yeah, of Israel. Right. <laughs> Joshua chapter 12, there is a list of defeated kings given, two on the eastern side of the Jordan, so Sihon and Og, and we know that these kings were captured before the time period of the conquest, so when Moses was still around, uh, and then 31 kings on the west side of the Jordan. So once the conquest began mm. to happen. In Joshua chapter 13, we're told that Joshua is very old, and yet there are still very large areas of the promised land left to be taken over. We're told that the Philistines are in the land and they're not able to be 
taken over. The Gesherites are still in the land and they're not able to be taken over. The Gesherites are important because King David will make a marriage alliance mm. with these Gesherites that will nearly cost him his kingdom because the product of that marriage is his son Absalom. Mm. It's his royal son Absalom. So just keep in mind the Gesherites <laughs> right, here, yeah. the Gesherites. Um, okay, we're also told about how the land was divided on the eastern side of the Jordan between Reuben Gad and that half tribe of Manasseh. So we're given the rundown on right. how that looked. And then in Joshua chapter 14, <laughs> it's the land divisions on the western side of the Jordan. Um, we're told that Eleazar the priest and Joshua decided by lot, so by using the Urim and Thummim, which tribe of Israel got which portion of land. Like what portion of land they were responsible for. Mm -hmm. We are told that there was a special allotment given to Caleb, who was from the tribe of Judah. We're told that Caleb was given the city of Hebron. But then later on in the scripture, it's going to clarify that the town itself, Hebron itself, became a Levitical city of refuge. So Caleb couldn't own it exactly, but he still retained use of the fields around it. He owned the fields and the pasture land. Right. I guess Caleb got special treatment because he was faithful to God and he was one yes. of, he and Joshua were the only elders That's of right. Israel yeah. left. Joshua chapter 15, we're told about Judah's land allotments. We're told about how a very old Caleb took over his territory and was able to drive out three Anakites. We're told that Othniel, a man named Othniel, won Caleb's daughter in marriage uh, by taking over a city that everyone thought was impossible to take over. And then, so her land allotment goes to Othniel and she comes back, Caleb's daughter comes back to Caleb and asks for more of her father's territory, for more inheritance, likely because the land that they had was quite arid. But it's interesting how Caleb, some of Caleb's family history is recorded in Joshua. There's also a note about Jerusalem because Jerusalem was within the territory of Caleb and Judah. Um, that to the day that this was being written, Jebusites still lived there with the people of Judah. So we know that Jerusalem was temporarily taken um, in Judges chapter 1. So that same time period as Caleb, Othniel, and Azka, Caleb's daughter. Right. That's important because it doesn't stay in the hands of Israel because mm -hmm. David has to take it later on as the capital city. Right. So just some back history of Jerusalem there. Right. Okay, Joshua chapter 16, we've got Ephraim and Manasseh's land allotment. And we're told that Ephraim was not able to dislodge the Canaanites in Gezer, the city of Gezer. Mm. Joshua chapter 17, Manasseh continued. We learned that the tribe of Manasseh had a great struggle with the Canaanites because the Canaanites had iron chariots. So Manasseh goes back to Joshua, the tribal leaders of Manasseh go back to Joshua and they ask for more territory that was already open, that was already clear and didn't have any enemies in it. But Joshua said, no, don't be afraid of the iron chariots, um, but also go and take the forested hill country and build your own cities. So there's just some advice that's <laughs> right. given from Joshua to Manasseh. It's good. It's good. It's good. Joshua chapter 18, we're told that the Israelites set up the tent tabernacle at the city of Shiloh and to appoint three men from each tribe to go make a survey, so a, essentially a map, 
of the land of Israel. And then Joshua would divide the map via casting lots at the entrance to the tabernacle of Shiloh. Cool. Yeah. Be cool to have that map. It would be very cool (laughs) to have that map. (laughs) Okay. So then the last part portion of chapter 18 and all of chapter 19 is about the tribal allotments of, of those tribes. Right. Joshua chapter 20, these are, it's the appointment of the cities of refuge. Right. So which cities are going to be the cities of refuge? There's a summary of how these cities were used uh, to save the lives, essentially, of people who accidentally murdered someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chapter 21, um, towns for the Levites that are given at Shiloh when Joshua and Eleazar are casting lots, right? right? So cities for the Kohathites, Gershonites, and Merorites. So remember that those three Levites, when they were in the wilderness, had the responsibility for different elements of carrying the tent tabernacle. So it's basically what happened to them. Right. Is in chapter 21. Chapter 22, Joshua sends those two and a half tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, back home. You've helped enough. You can go back and be reunited with your families on the other side of the Jordan River. Take your spoils of war with you. You've done a good job. You've fulfilled your commitment. On the way home, these tribes stop at the Jordan River and they build a massive altar that is a replica it's supposed to be a replica of the altar, I think, on Mount Ebal. And, and also, um, likely they may have done another one at Shiloh as well, but definitely the one on Mount Ebal. Israel, the rest of Israel, is very disturbed by this. And so they they call an assembly at Shiloh, and they decide that this is, an, this is apostasy, and they have to go destroy Ephraim right. and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um. So they, they first, before they launch all out war, yeah. they decide to send Phineas the priest and 10 men, one from each tribe, to go find out what this was about. Like, how could you so quickly fall into paganism? Because right. they're thinking they built an altar. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're going to sacrifice on this altar instead of coming to Shiloh. Right. Uh, but it turns out that these tribes built it as a symbolic witness as opposed to a functioning altar. Right. So it was a memorial meant to tie the nation together. So it was supposed to just be a religious symbol. Yes. Not a declaration of pagan intentions. (laughs) All right. So thank goodness. Miscommunication. Crisis averted. That's right. They no longer went to war against each other. (laughs) Close call. Close call. Man, send those letters, you know. Announce your t- intentions. It's the basis of a dysfunctional family is miscommunication. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Always has been, always will be. <laughs> okay. In chapter 23, we get a reminder and a warning from an aged Joshua. So essentially, here's where you've come from. Here's where you need to go. Stay close to God. Right. Don't incorporate into the pagan practices of the land. Joshua chapter 24, we have Joshua renewing for a final time the covenant between the people and God at the city of Shechem. And this is where we get that very famous saying that people like to put in their houses now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yes. That's what Joshua says. We're told that Joshua dies. He is 110 years old. And he's buried in the city that was given to him 
as his special inheritance, which was Timnath Sirah, also called Timnath Harris, which right. I know I am butchering the pronunciation <laughs> of. We're also, then we're given back matter. So the bones of Joseph, do you remember when they were leaving yes. Egypt yeah. and they had to take the bones of Joseph with them? It was part of his wish. Was, yeah. yeah, right. It was part of his wish. And so they buried his bones at the city of Shechem, mm. where they did the covenant renewal ceremony, which is very cool and yeah, very symbolic. Very... We're also told that Eleazar, the priest, the son of Aaron, he died and he was buried at Gibeah, which was in his son Phineas's land. And we're told that throughout the lifetime of Joshua and throughout the lifetime of all the elders of Israel that outlived Joshua, but who had served with Joshua, yeah. Israel served God. Cool. Throughout those yeah. lifetimes. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. And that's how the book of Joshua ends. Ends on a positive <laughs> note. You're like, yay. Yeah, yeah. They're serving us. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Judges. Are you ready for Judges? Because here's where it's going to take a, a negative turn. A very fast, quick dive. Deep dive. Hard into, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hard south. That's right. Drop. I'm ready for it. We can keep going. Can I take haven't a had much to say so far. I know. You've been really quiet. Yeah, it's been pretty nice, actually. Just sitting, <laughs> sitting back here. Just relaxing. Just relaxing over <laughs> yeah. there. I'm going to take a sip of water. Yeah. And then we're well, Joshua's mostly, like, mostly, mainly, what am I saying? Mostly plot line, where you're just kind of going through the yeah. most of what they did. So it's really difficult, apart from getting into like philosophical arguments or like the, the, the overarching nature of what's happening yeah. here. It's not really, you know, in line with, with a, bit, a Bible recap of the, the weekly recap. So... Maybe I'll post an article about something related to this. If anyone ever struggles with, like, you know, we, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, uh, the the issues with God as a moral monster, some people say, or that God is cruel here, or that this is possible genocide. The last couple of weeks we've been dealing with that. But I'll even post an article down below in the description box, and I'll even hash out some more reasons why this doesn't work, mm-hmm. even in just, like, a very logical, practical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, for Because a lot of people, for one, a lot of people would say that morality is cultural, well, if this is one culture against another culture, and then we agree that these other cultures are more evil, do you see what I'm saying? If we, if yeah. we all hear, what's the wrong with what Joshua's doing here? If most cultures agree that Joshua's more, you know, even in a, a humanistic sense, it doesn't work. Um, but apart from that, I, I think that there's more to be said there, and there's more to hash out, because I know it is a, a concerning subject for a lot of people. Yeah. So I'll post an article in the description box, and we'll go from there. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect, perfect. Okay, Judges. So Judges chapter 1 records the battle campaigns of the tribes. First, we see the tribe of Judah, which is, of course, Caleb's tribe. And we see them capturing uh, the king Adonai Bezik and cutting off his thumbs and big toes because that's what he was famous for. So they're doling out the punishment that he gave to everyone else. Right. On him. Yeah, once again, divine irony. Yeah, judgment. yeah. You'll see that throughout the Bible. It's got, oh, even like the book of uh, Esther, mm-hmm. uh, is always divine irony when mm-hmm. he judges. Uh, Samson, you just go down the list. You'll see it. Yep. Keep, keep your eyes out for it when you're, when you're reading. But anyways. So we're told that they also were able to take Jerusalem, but not completely, which right. we saw a little bit in the book of Joshua. And again, then we get the, the flushing out of Caleb's situation and how... Othniel was able to marry his daughter. Uh, 
Othniel is able to marry Caleb's daughter. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so <laughs> essentially, Caleb made a competition for his daughter's hand in marriage. Essentially, her dowry was a city, which was really, really good. Uh, so she marries Othniel, and then she asks her dad, Caleb, for springs of water to go with her territory, and he agrees. So we see this negotiation for for more land from right. Caleb's daughter. Um, we get we were told that the descendants of Moses is father-in-law are still with Israel and they're called the Kenites and they live among the tribe of Judah. Uh, We're told that Judah teams up with the tribe of Simeon to take land. Uh, We're told that the tribes of Joseph, which is Ephraim and Manasseh, they take the city of Bethel with the help of a man of Bethel who is spared with his family. So he's like Rahab. Right. She allies herself with Israel to save herself and her family also a man of Bethel did the same thing. So right. he became essentially an Israelite. Uh, there's a note about the Canaanites that that Israel couldn't drive them out, but instead pressed many of them into forced labor. Uh, so essentially they became vassals. Right. So they had to pay tribute and taxes in the form of food and goods and services, military service, things like that. Right. Uh, and other Canaanites were told just lived with them. They weren't even able to force them into vassalhood. Okay, Judges chapter 2, we have the angel of the Lord indicting or coming against the Israelites for not continuing their mission to destroy all the idols and altars. Right. So Israel has kind of has given up on their original mission, which was to cleanse cleanse the land from religious idolatry. Right. Uh, There's another record of Joshua's death given here in chapter 2. And then we're told that that generation, again, that had lived with Joshua, they died and they left a generation that neither knew God nor had seen what he had done for Israel. Right. So they had failed to pass on the knowledge of God to the next generation. And then there's really bad news. And if you want to read Judges chapter chapter 2, verses 11 to 19, it is essentially a summary of the entire book of Judges. And there's a phrase that's going to continue on in Judges that ties the whole thing together, which is essentially, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. No one was following God. Right. And it just becomes very chaotic and very brutal. Right. And it even says here too, in verse 3, so now I say, this is the Lord, I will not drive them out before you. This is the mm-hmm. opposite of what he was saying. Yeah. God was saying in Deuteronomy. Now he says, I will not drive them out, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Mm-hmm. So again, this is the we're talking about religious and immoral practices that are happening here. That there is a spiritual battle that's underpinning uh, this physical battle. And that these gods are not just like make-believe things. Mm-hmm. Like Deuteronomy 32 calls them demons, that they're worshiping demons. Mm-hmm. And fallen angels is the idea that lowercase g gods, uh, not you know the, the uppercase g god, the god that, of the Bible. Yeah. So you, what you have here is that there's an actual spiritual battle here that, uh, that's taking place. And they've kind of relinquished or desired not to continue doing it. Yeah. Not to cleanse the land. So that's part of it. So God's no longer going to drive them out. Um, anyways, that's just tying into what you're saying. Definitely. So in Judges chapter 3, we're told that Othniel, who is the son-in-law of Caleb, uh, he became the first judge of Israel. So he defeated an enemy king that had subjected 
the Israelites for eight years. And then we're told that Othniel ruled in peace for 40 years. Uh, Then we're told that a new judge, after Othniel, a new judge named Ehud uh, was chosen by God because Eglon, a king of Moab, ruled over Israel from the city of Jericho for 18 years. So then there's this really dramatic episode in Judges chapter 3 of Ehud going into the palace and assassinating Eglon, king of Moab, and then we're told that the land had peace for 80 years. Mm. We're told of another judge called Shamgar. Yeah. That's, we don't know much about him, just that his name was Shamgar and that he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Yeah, it's amazing. What the, we're not told why. We're not told any like context. Yeah, but. I know. It's so cool. But I, I remember hearing <laughs> about... Uh, there was archaeological evidence they found some sort of like spearhead with Shamgar's name on it. Do you recall this? Yeah, this is years ago. So it may not be the judge Shamgar, but what it does is it shows that the name Shamgar was in the land at the time. Right. And in the fact that it was found on a spearhead, a bronze spearhead, means that whatever Shamgar owned that spearhead was, was was a warrior. Yeah. Yeah, because often they would in, they could engrave their names in it so that on the battlefield they could go back and find it because right. it's not just like you could go down to the store and buy some more <laughs> bronze spearheads, you know? They yeah. had to make them. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's cool. Okay, Judges chapter 4. So God then chooses Deborah as the next judge of Israel now that Ehud was dead. So we uh, it's pretty common uh with Bible commentaries to note that some of these judges probably occurred at the same time, but in different parts of the country. So like Shamgar and Deborah could have occurred at the same time, but in different areas. Mm. It's just not given to us in strictly chronological order. But anyway, that's just a side note. So Deborah, a prophet, uh, becomes... Uh, she becomes the next judge of Israel. The enemy of Israel at that point is the king of Hatzor. So Deborah sends for a man, an Israelite man named Barak, and she gives him a command from God that Barak is supposed to lead the Israelite army to fight Hatzor's army and will defeat them. Uh, and she ends up going into battle with Barak mm-hmm. because he wants the prophet of God to go with mm-hmm. him. Uh, we're told... At that point, the Kenites, remember these are Moses's, uh, in the descendants of Moses's right. in-laws, the Kenites, they re-enter the picture here because they were told that they have an alliance with the king of Hazor. But a man, a, a woman named Jael, who is a wife of a Kenite, she kills Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army. Uh, and eventually... They destroy the king of Canaan, uh, the king of Hatzor. Apparently, mm-hmm. Hatzor is the capital of of capital city of a coalition right. of Canaanite cities, right. uh, and his name is Jabin again. So we've got that that dynastic name of the king of Hatzor. Right. Okay. So that's the history of Deborah, and then in Judges chapter five, we have a record of the song of Deborah, mm. and we're told that the land had peace for 40 years right. with Deborah as the judge. Okay. She's the second prophet that's mentioned as a woman, right? She's the second one. I believe so. Yeah. yeah I believe Miriam so. so far? Yeah. Right. Miriam was called a prophet, and then Deborah's called a prophet. Right. Okay. Judges chapter 6, we have the very interesting 
story of the judge Gideon. Mm. So we're told that the people group of the Midianites oppressed Israel for seven years. Then the Israelites cry out and God rises up a prophet that told them, we're not told who the prophet is, but they rise up a pro- he rises up a prophet to tell the people the reason why God had abandoned them. Uh, and essentially that's through idolatry. Right. You're worshiping idols, so I have abandoned you. And then God calls Gideon as a judge. Now, Gideon makes God a sacrificial meal, which yeah. is not Levitical at all. It's not like we can't find evidence of it in, in Leviticus, but it's still accepted by God. Yeah. And Gideon builds an altar to God. Uh, so we see this intention, right? This yeah. intention from Gideon, who is steeped in idol worship to get back to God. God commissions Gideon to tear down his father's Baal altar and Ashtoreth and build in its place an altar to God. And so Gideon does it at yeah. night so no one can see him, <laughs> uh, which is probably the yeah. safest option. And this ends up earning him the name, let the, the, a, a name that means let Baal contend because his dad has to right. stand up for him. The city wants to kill him. And his dad stands up for him. He's like, he tore down Baal's altar. Let Baal contend with him. Right. Let Baal kill him. Right? Judges chapter 7, Gideon begins to defeat the Midianite alliance with only 300 men. God whittles down right. his yeah. military power because he's like, no, 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 Gideon. You're not going to be able to blame this win on your numbers. That's right. It's going to be on me. Um, as Gideon begins to chase the Midianites through Israel, he calls out on other tribes to help the case. Right. He's rallying Israel. In Judges chapter 8, we see Gideon's vengefulness on full display. He kills men who wouldn't give his army any bread on the way. And he wants his young son, Gideon wants his young son to kill the commanders he had been chasing because they had killed his brothers and family. Mm. So he's trying to get his son in on it. Right. Um, still in Judges chapter 8, Gideon refuses to become Israel's king. They want him to become king at this point. Yeah. Gideon says no, but he still asks for money for gold and he makes himself an ephod. Yes. Which is something that only the high priest was supposed to wear. It becomes a bane to him. Yeah. Now, this is probably the, the reference to an ephod at this point is probably like a euphemism for an idol. Right. Uh, because idols were often clothed with special clothing like an ephod. So he okay. was probably integrating the worship of God that he knew with the idol worship that he also knew. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, perhaps Gideon, like it's even theorized maybe Gideon, Gideon made an idol an image of the angel of the Lord that he had seen because he had talked to the angel of the Lord. So right, we don't yeah. know, but whatever it was, we know it was really bad. We're told that it became a snare to Gideon right. and it became a snare to Israel who began to honor and worship whatever it was that he created. Right. But nevertheless, the land still had 40 years of peace. Uh, and then again, but Gideon <laughs> yeah. also had many wives and 70 sons. Yeah. And one particular son by a concubine from Shechem named Abimelech. Never trust an Abimelech. This is what we learned. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sadness. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something about that, though, eh? Yeah. Okay, so in Judges chapter 9, the son of Gideon by a concubine in Shechem named Abimelech mm -hmm 
murders the 70 sons of Gideon, except for the youngest son. He escapes. The youngest son escapes. And Abimelech is crowned the king of Shechem. So we see this power takeover. Now, Abimelech rules for three years, but the city of Shechem begins to turn against him. It ends in this dramatic battle, and uh, Abimelech destroys the city of Shechem. Yeah. Keep in mind, like, this is this is where the Shechem is where the covenant was renewed. Shechem is where Joseph is buried. Like, come <laughs> yeah. on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so Abimelech destroys the temple fortress of Shechem. So there was a big fortress in the city of Shechem, in the ancient city of Shechem, where we're told about a thousand people were hiding in it. And he burns it. Yeah. He burns it while they're in it. Abimelech then goes to Thebes to take that city. And there's a stronghold tower there as well. And a woman chucks a millstone, which is something that you use to grind grain, probably a handheld one. um, And it hits him on the head and he dies. Well, not quite, because he's like, servant, kill me. So no one tells them that a woman woman (laughs) killed me. Okay. Well, now we all know. So it's too late to build A long time ago, years and years ago, there was an article in Biblical Archaeology Review of a bunch of women archaeologists who were working at the city of Shechem. And they had a great old time recreating this scene because they got a bunch of millstones because they they were responding to an article of of someone who had said, you know, this is probably not realistic because how could a woman throw a millstone? So they got all all these millstones and they all took turns chucking them yeah. from the walls of ancient Shechem yeah. at watermelons with faces drawn on them yeah. and they got them. So it's real. Yeah. It's possible. It yeah. is possible. But they're, yeah, they're also, I'm sure like you're working out all day in the fields. You're pretty much more buff than we are today. I'm who's, sure the, yeah, the ancient at, women yeah. were probably quite buff. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but even still, it's yeah. just a big, it's just it's, a big stone. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it wouldn't have been one of the big commercial ones that yeah. weighs a thousand pounds. That's right. It would have been. So it's good aim. Good shot. Good aim. Yeah, good shot. Softball. So at the end of this chapter, Abimelech gets his punishment and the city of Shechem gets their punishment so it's no one wins here right no one wins here like sure there was 40 years of peace after after um gideon's judgeship (laughs) but it's pretty brutal the results are pretty brutal so it's really showing the book of judges is really showing how when you stray away from god there are really brutal and natural consequences Every time I read Judges, I can't help but think about spaghetti westerns. Like, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. It just reads like every bit of it is like it's full of divine irony, it's full of greed, it's full of just like, you know, uh, revenge. Wild stories. This is, it's just pure spaghetti westerns. If someone, any filmmakers out there, you have a complete database of beautiful spaghetti (laughs) westerns you can make. Anyways, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's the cyclical pattern of, of sin that happens here, like 40 years on, 40 years off, they repent, they come back, right? Yeah. And then they do it again, and yeah. then they they fall into sin and snare. And it's usually always oppression that's followed by mm-hmm. it, right? And then once they repent, they get restored again, but then 40 years later, which is like a generation, essentially. Yeah. Everyone's, you're... And very, very modified by the leaders that are leading them. Yeah. Like, you you can have you can have good leaders like, like Deborah, who was a prophet of God who tri- who tried to bring the people back to God. Right. And then you have 
other leaders who are just military leaders and they kind of try yeah. like Gideon. like Gideon yeah, yeah. but then end up failing miserably because they're not they're not staying true to who God is they're they're trying to mix their current That's culture right. with worship of God which is like always the bane this is the reason why God kept the culture so distinct yeah. was because you inherently mix your culture with your religion just by mm-hmm. nature. You even see that today with people Definitely. who cultural Christianity, right? People just mix. So easy to do. So easy to mix your cultural religion because culture is just your religion externalized essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you are just looking at people, you know, you just assume that this is the norm, this is the way it ought to be, especially if they have the same foundational values as you. might not be accurate, mm-hmm. but then you start believing like, oh, they're they're ex- the outward expressions of the things that they do yeah. are the same thing as their foundation. So it can easily become mixed and integrated, and it happens in each generation. So that's the reason why the Word of God is so important, so you have that distinction that's clear. Yeah, you need to study the Word of God, and you need to self-reflect on your life that's and right. see where where you are allowing your culture to dictate your faith and, and what needs to change. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. Okay, All we right. have more judges to go uh, next week. If you have any comments or questions, leave them down below and we'll get back to you. Hope you're having a good one. See ya. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.